Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday. Hope you're enjoying the week. Hope we're doing a good job and you're being satisfied with the shows. Fantastic, awesome show today. Uh, Delano Squires will be here shortly. Steve Kim will join us. And we probably will air an interview where I talk some local politics uh, with a mayoral candidate. I I'm sorry, I, I have to air out my grievances and hopes and aspirations for Nashville. Hope you'll stick with me. We'll potentially have Alice Rowley on to discuss what's going on here in Nashville. Hope you'll enjoy that. Uh, but we're going to begin where we always like to begin on this show, and that's with a fire starter on a topic that will get us rolling, and then we'll have Delano come in and fan the flames. Uh, so uh, let's get to our fire starter uh, right now. Courage is more contagious than COVID. That's why the gatekeepers fear Ice Cube, the profane rapper turned movie mogul turned sports commissioner turned independent thinker. A little more than a month ago, Ice Cube expressed frustration with the gatekeepers, the executives and institutions he believes are colluding to thwart the rise of his basketball league, the Big Three. Via Twitter, Cube announced he would amount a F the gatekeepers tour of anti-establishment podcasts and alternative media. He initially appeared on the Joe Rogan Experience and Piers Morgan Uncensored. Yesterday, Tucker Carlson released a 22-minute sit-down with America's most wanted rapper. The interviews have been relatively tame. Cube isn't exactly Malcolm X or Thomas Sowell or even Van Jones. The South Central Los Angeles rapper is far more every man than intellectual firebrand. Plus, his past, how he came to be rich and famous, dispensing lyrical pornography, boxes him in. You can't seize the moral high ground when you're known for threatening to sodomize your former bandmates with no Vaseline. His actions trump his words. An iconic black rapper casually cruising the streets of Compton with Tucker Carlson says much more than Ice Cube could ever articulate. Cube and Carlson disrupt the corporate media narrative that conservative white men are the natural enemy of black men. Since white conservative evangelicals fought to end slavery, bigoted gatekeepers have worked overtime to convince black people that while progressive atheists are the black man's true allies. According to the gatekeepers, Ice Cube is a traitor, a sellout. Before the 2020 election, the actor worked with the Trump administration on the Platinum Plan, an investment strategy directed at black communities. And now the rapper is palling around with Tucker Carlson, a known defender of January 6th protesters. Cube's actions signal an awakening among black men, a realization that the political left is driving the emasculation of men in general and black men in particular. Black rappers, for better or worse, have become the avatar for black male masculinity. It's extremely difficult for corporate media to cast Ice Cube as a racial turncoat. He's not Kanye West. Cube has been married to the same black woman, Ken Woodruff, Kim Woodruff, since 1992. He was a founding member of the rap group NWA, 
the band Hollywood and the mainstream media have canonized as the epitome of blackness. The silencing and shunning of Ice Cube by the political left exposes the real overseers, AKA the gatekeepers, the people committed to controlling the thoughts and behaviors of black people. Here, we'll play a clip of Ice Cube talking with Tucker Carlson about being shut out by the gatekeepers. But I've been shut out, you know. Some some platforms will not have me on. Why? Um, they don't like that I'm, you know, an independent thinker. I'm not part of the herd. I'm not part of uh, the go along to get along gang, so to speak. So, um, you know, I'm an outsider, and so you know, I'm not part of the club. So I have to, I have to go places for, for one that I'm welcome yeah. and where I can voice my opinion without somebody, um, you know, saying I'm a bad person and that they never want to have me on their platform again. What what platforms have have banned you? I've been I've been, um, you know, I tried to go on. I tried to go on The View. They didn't have me on The View. Why? Um, well, a few of the guests just really didn't like where I was coming from. So, uh, or a few of the hosts, I mean. So that's what I was told by the producers. And I don't know if the producers was just copping out and using some of the hosts to to not have me come on and explain myself, but. You'd be a good booking for them. I've been on there before. Yeah. You know, it's just when I've became an independent thinker, when I've, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't follow their, uh, their brand of politics, I guess. Cube's use of the phrase, go along to get along gang, is important. It points to the contagion of courage. Kwame Brown, the former NBA player, coined the term when he trashed Stephen A. Smith, Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson, and corporate sports media two years ago. Brown questioned the integrity and honesty of sports media gatekeepers and the legitimacy of left-wing orthodoxy. Brown's courage was infectious. Ice Cube took notice, obviously. No different from Kanye West. West, of course, supported Donald Trump throughout his presidency. Lil Wayne supported Trump. Wheezy also rejected the progressive construct that America is ruled by white supremacy. The gatekeepers empowered rappers to promote debauchery, immorality, materialism, and racial idolatry. The gatekeepers may have created Frankenstein, a monster they can't control. Listen to Ice Cube. I think race, it, it takes up too much space. Um, there's people that we all have in our lives who are same race that we can't stand. And there's people in our lives from other races that we get along with way better. So it's not about race. It's not about color and gender and this and that. It's about who do you connect with? You know, who do you vibrate with? You know what I mean? I Who's do. on the same wavelength? Who wants to be the same kind of person? Who wants to do the right thing when you want to do the right thing? Um, that's who you connect with. So I think 
a lot of people get make a lot of money off of the races fighting against each other and bickering. And they the ones who push it in our face all the time that we're separate. And um, it does feel like there's more of that, doesn't there? Yeah, it seems like it's uh, it's like you're stuck in a bad movie and you can't get out. Like you can't find the exit and it continues to play on the screen and you're just running around looking for the exit. And this bad movie continues to just haunt you day by day by day by day. You know, that's what we're caught in. Um, a, a never ending, winless battle of, you know, um, of race and color and worried about, you know, where you from and, you know. Hip hop, what's great about hip hop, like, it was a slant, it was a saying in hip hop, early hip hop, I think Rakim coined this phrase, you know, it ain't where you from, it's where you at. You know, and it's so true. It's not about where you come from, it's about where you at right now. The rappers, they're waking up. The gatekeepers fear the awakening of rappers because they're afraid that will awaken black men in mass. Once we're awake, we'll understand the fallacy of a race war. We're in a battle of the sexes. God gave man dominion over the earth. Satan is using the ambition of women to disrupt God's will. At one point during his interview, Carlson asked Ice Cube about his meeting with Trump. Ice Cube responded, Enemies meet. Trump and Cube are not enemies. They're alpha males. Alpha males do not avoid conflict. They meet and work out their differences or they go to war. In our feminized, matriarchal culture, men do not meet and settle their differences. The matriarchy censors, silences, and shuns dissenting points of view under the pretense of hurt feelings. Ice Cube's determination to act like a man threatens the gatekeepers. Anybody that has watched this show, followed my work, knows that I have a problem with rap music and gangster rap. Even though I enjoyed it, ingested it, party to it, I've always been a critic of it. It's lyrical pornography. And, and these guys have acquired a lot of wealth and influence by basically being pornographers. But, but despite whatever my criticisms of, of Ice Cube is and are, he's a man who as he matures and as he looks at the world and evolves, he, uh, he's starting to see the bigger picture. When he was young, he just wanted to be rich and famous and he was willing to do anything to do that. I get it. Not gonna forgive him for it, but I'm gonna move past it because of just what he said. It's not where you're from, it's where you're at. And I like where Ice Cube is going. Is he all the way there yet? No. Will he get there? I believe yes, in the right environment. I, initially, when he started his tour of these podcasts, I was upset because reached out to him through Royce and I'm like, Joe Rogan? 
Here's Morgan, Tucker Carlson. Those are all safe spaces to go. But, but the, sim the symbolism of it and what it represents and him as someone who's bona fides as a black man cannot be questioned, cannot be dismissed, him sitting down with these guys is disruptive, very disruptive, more disruptive than anything that he actually says in these interviews. The fact that he's willing to go sit down with them and talk in a friendly, uh, appropriate way, respectful way with these guys says a mouthful and it's a bat signal. It's a signal to other men, particularly black men. Shake them chains off, man. Look at who's really controlling and manipulating you and look at what the battle actually is about. We're in a battle of the sexes. This whole race thing is a gimmick so that you don't understand that your balls are being cut off, that you're being emasculated at every turn, that, that the world is telling you you know how you deal with someone you disagree with? Ignore them. Stick fingers in your ears and scream, nah. Act like a little girl. Act like a child. Act like a P-U-S-S, you know what. It's not manly. that This whole world that they've designed for us, this culture that's been popularized for us, it's not manly. And, and it's not just the rejection of manliness, it's not ordered, it's not structured, it's not safe, it's not productive. It doesn't put women and children in a safe place for their development. It, it's, and so to see Ice Cube waking up to this and, 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 and to, see, to know what he represents and why the gatekeepers are scared, it's an amazing feeling. We're going to talk about it with Delano here in a second, but before we do that, I want to talk to you guys about uh, one of my new favorite supplements I took it this morning, my Nugenics. Guys, are you ready to boost your testosterone and get your old self back? Our sponsor, Nugenics Total T, is offering a complimentary bottle when you text 231-231 and enter the keyword FEARLESS. Are you really ready to lose your shape, your muscle, your energy? As men age, we lose free testosterone, the man hormone. We lose that fire. It's harder to feel as alive, as energetic, be as active. It's even harder to stay in shape. Now you can get that old fire back with Nugenics. Want more energy, more power to fight the negative physical effects of aging? Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster will, with Testafin will help you turn back the clock and re-energize your life. It'll help you look and feel like the man you want to be. And now get a complimentary bottle when you text 231-231 and enter the keyword FEARLESS. This is the unprecedented formula with science-backed key ingredients to safely maximize your free and total testosterone levels, help you increase muscle mass and skyrocket your performance as you age. Nugenics is also the number one doctor-recommended testosterone boosting brand. If you're not totally satisfied, Nugenics will refund 100% of your purchase price plus shipping and processing. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text 231-231 and enter the keyword FEARLESS. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermal X, our, our newest and most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you 
lose fast and get lean fast absolutely free. Text 231-231 and enter the keyword fearless. That's 231-231, keyword fearless. Texting enrolls you in reoccurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Look at me. See, see how much better I look? Exercise, nogenics, elevating my testosterone. It's all working hand, it's all working together to improve me. It can do the same for you. All right, uh, let's roll out to Washington, D.C. and bring in uh, Delano Squires. Uh, Delano, uh, have, what, is my read of the actions that Ice Cube are, is taking is more powerful perhaps than anything that he says. Just the act of sitting down with Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan and Piers Morgan, uh, that's a powerful bat signal uh, to other black men. Throw off your constraints, be a man, and go out and deal with people you disagree with. Go out and uh, deal with people who the world tells you are untouchable. I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying his F the Gatekeepers tour. So, so Jason, I think what Ice Cube is trying to do is his best Oprah impersonation. He's he basically saying, look, you get some nugenics, you get some nugenics, right? He's telling, he's telling men everywhere, particularly black men, look, man, it's time to up your T levels, right? Because if you're the type of guy that can't speak to, to people who you disagree with, that there is an element of softness and fragility that comes with that. And as he said, enemies enemies talk. And and I, I mean, when he said that, I, I sort of I sort of sat up when I heard it in the interview. And as you said, I, I don't I don't think Tucker Carlson is is the enemy of Ice Cube or or black people or people of color, or so on and so on and so forth. But I, but I do know that that's that is how the left paints him, right? And. If, if, if I'm thinking of that, that order, it's basically Trump, Tucker, and then probably, you know, DeSantis. Those are, those are the three, the, the triumvirate of the, the black boogeyman. And I think Ice Cube sitting down to speak with him um, is as way bigger than Kanye going to see Trump. Because to your point, people already had that. Kanye's mercurial. You can never pin him down. You, you don't know what he's going to do, right? He's liable to say all sorts of things. It's easy to say that he's out of his mind. He never shuts up. Ice Cube, you know, when I, when I looked at the interview, very measured. Um, he's not, you know, demonstrative. And at times it felt like Tucker had to, you know, pull certain things out of him. He, he doesn't seem like a naturally talkative person. Um, so when I first saw this drop, my first reaction, literally, as I was looking at it, was, oh boy. I said, man, BLM Twitter, Bell Hooks Twitter, uh, uh, Brittany Cooper Twitter, they are going to be upset about that because they already hated him from 2020, and that's only going to get worse um, with, with these rounds of interviews going around the internet. I, I see, and, and the people you rattled off, the whole BLM, the women that run that, and Brittany Cooper, and all, the, the female, the black female gatekeepers. This is, it's, it's symbolic and, and an analogy of, I think, of what's gone on uh, in the dynamics of, of many 
male, female, husband, wife relationships in the black community. Black men have had to bite their tongue mm -hmm. and not mention, like, not a, I don't think Trump is all that crazy, you know, and, and, you know, if I had a choice between hanging out with Trump or Biden, I would choose Trump. That's all the black men I know. If they had that choice, they would go Trump. But in front of their wife or girlfriend, mm -hmm. they're forced to pretend like Trump is the worst thing on the planet. And, and that's why I think what Ice Cube is doing here is the most dangerous of all the disruptors. Because you know, we're, we're in agreement that you know, Kanye doing it, hey, he's bipolar. Little Wayne right. doing it, man, he's got tats all over his face and he's high all the time. Mm -hmm. Ice Cube may be high occasionally, but Ice Cube is someone who you would invite to your home with a measure of like, oh no, this guy's gonna fit in, he's no threat to my kids, I can have a rational, intelligent conversation with him. He's, a, a, I'm not sure if there's another rapper who could pull this off with more credibility than Ice Cube? I mean, I think someone like Jay-Z could, but obviously that wouldn't happen for the, re for the very reason that you just mentioned, right? Uh, because the, the type of blowback- Hold for one second though, hold for one second. Uh -huh. hold, why do you, you're putting, you think Jay-Z's credibility with black men is as high as Ice Cube's. I, I think they're close, but I'm not, sh I'm not sure yeah, if de I, de definitely, 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 I, I, I would say so. I mean, you know, f for all types of reasons, right? The, the, the catalog, um, the musical catalog, his ownership stake, you know, in professional sports franchises. Um, I mean, just him being a public figure for the better part of 20, 25 years. Obviously, Ice Cube is a public figure and, and was on this public scene longer. But Jay-Z as a singular artist, as a singular brand, um, I, I think certainly, you know, is up Married there. to Beyonce. Correct, yeah. correct. Married to Beyonce. And, and that brings with it even because the average person would say, if Jay-Z is doing this, Beyonce had to sign off. Right. So so he would he would actually bring that in a way that Ice Cube wouldn't, because I don't even know Ice Cube's wife by name, which is perfect for him. Right. Perfect for the order in his own household. But I, I think Jay-Z could. But it's just I couldn't imagine he would do it because the, the crazy thing is it is a lot. Let's let's let, we can press this issue. When Jay-Z said, I got 99 problems, but a B ain't one. There, there's something to that. Right. These are guys that would shoot other guys for, be, for being disrespected. They would stab them. They would punch them out at you know, an awards after party. But the one thing that they would not do is get cross with their wife or their girlfriend. Because, and I've said this on the show before, a lot of guys are much more terrified of their wife and their teenage daughter than some potential robber or carjacker. They do not want to get cross with, with the women in their lives. And, and I think, what Ice Cube is doing is saying, look, I don't care about what the quote unquote culture says. I don't care about what the Vivica Fox and, and the women on Fox Soul. I don't care what Jamel Hill is going to say. I don't care what Joy Reid is going to say, Nicole Hannah-Jones, all the women that say stay in your lane, 
Ice Cube is not a civil rights figure. He doesn't know anything about politics. This is why we have experts. I, I think his thing is like, I don't care what any of these people say. And if somebody's going to give me an opportunity to speak my piece, I'm going to do it. The one thing I would say is this, Jason, my, my one quibble, and, and I'll, I'll you know, go with you on all the stuff about the, 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 the role rap has played in, in my opinion, the degradation of black culture. My one quibble with Ice Cube is this. A significant part of this gatekeeper tour is centered on his personal beef with the NBA and Adam Silver and what he feels they are doing to suppress his business. And I would give a lot more credibility to, to black leaders, particularly black men, who saying, look, I want certain things that I think are the best for the community, even though I'm not getting anything out of it. And one of the things that I appreciate about this show and you and, and you opening up your platform to people like me is like, look, I'm not selling y'all nothing. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. And, and, and what I want is for any you know, p- person in general, we're talking about the black community, any black child, whether they're born in, in Indianapolis or Baltimore or DC or Philly or Atlanta or New Orleans, to be able to grow up in a type of community where he can, he can get a diploma before he, he ends up in an obituary, to find a good woman, to marry her, to have lots of beautiful children, to raise them, to educate them, to, to teach them that they're created in God's image, and to continue that process onto the generations. You don't have to give me anything for that. So I, I just get a little bit skeptical when, when black folks in the culture start talking about their grievances as it relates to their business deals. And, and Cube did it in a different way, but it's not that much different than what Puffy was doing um, in 2020 when he was saying, you know, GM, you, 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 you companies have your boot on the neck of the black community. You're not supporting us and so on and so on and so forth. That is my that is my only quibble with it is I wish it would come when these guys didn't have something personally at stake. Well. That. Would take. And again, I don't know about his spiritual journey, his relationship with God, but. What you're pointing out about me isn't me. It, it's, it's my relationship with God. But where I do, where there is synergy between me and Ice Cube is what, uh, what elevated and made me realize like that my relationship with God is most important and what compelled me down this path of like, hey, how can I do things that will uplift others and get people to participate in a conversation that I want to promote and benefit the others? It was personal. And again, I've always been a believer, but I was a believer of convenience for a long time. Mm. And, and what happened in 2013, uh, going back to ESPN and receiving that treatment that I did in 2013 and 14 and 15 from ESPN and from corporate media, that like opened my eyes up, inspired me, lit a fire underneath my rear end, and everything that I'm doing now 
is somewhat connected to what I personally experienced and the unfairness that I felt like I personally experienced. And it opened my eyes to this much bigger battle of good versus evil that's going on because I just kept, why do these people hate me? What, what is going And then mm. I figured out it's not me. It's these seeds that my grandmother and that 25th Street Baptist Church planted in me that everybody could see like Whitlock don't even see it, but he got some Christian seeds planted in him and that's going to be dangerous. Let's destroy him. Uh, and so when I look at Ice Cube, I think and this is taking a uh, sympathetic view of him and a is like, oh, what's happening to him with the big three is opening his eyes to this larger conflict that's going on and getting him, keep this dude was really connected to Minister Farrakhan for a time and, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not disparaging that, but I'm just saying, to hear him now talk about race and how you know, mm. it, it's a false construct and blah, blah, blah. This is a man whose eyes have been opened through what he has experienced. It's like, once you get at that elevated level he's at, and it's like, oh, I'm here with the gatekeepers and this is how they operate. And if they're doing this to me, oh, my God, what they must be doing to the people below or, you know, with less means than me. So I just think that I don't have a problem that it mm. took personal struggle to snap Ice Cube awake. I just and again, just look at his interview with Tucker. They didn't really talk about the big three. That wasn't front and center. They talked about other things that, that and, and what I think, no disrespect to Tucker, but none at all. Tucker did a great job for what he can do. If we can get Ice Cube in a conversation with a black man in mm -hmm. a black environment, wait till you hear what he has to say in that environment with someone like me asking questions and leading him down. There's all kinds of things that I think Ice Cube believes, wants to say, but he just hasn't been asked the right questions, hasn't been put in right. the right environment. And so that, that would be the more, I, I, sometimes it takes personal struggle to open up people's eyes to the larger things that really have nothing to do with them. So, uh, and, and I understand that point. The only thing is this, um, when when the personal struggle is the genesis of, you know, a, a newfound passion or desire, I think what can happen is when that struggle is resolved, it, it can basically put a wet blanket over that fire, right? Now, to your point, they didn't spend a ton of time on the big three, but they, but he, he talked about it. He said Adam Silver is the starting forward on the, you know, on the New York lawyers. Or, or, no, actually, this was in the, the, the earlier clip. In the car ride. This was, correct. This yeah. was in the car ride. So they, they did talk about it a little bit. Um, and, and that's just my concern is that when that personal issue is resolved or that business issue is resolved, is that person going to be there? And this happens. The easiest place to see this is when it comes to politics. Uh, again, uh, in 2020, Diddy started the, I think it was a, our black party or something. And all, it was right before the election, all this movement around black politics and we're going to come together for our interests. I, lo I looked on their Instagram and Twitter page, their last post was probably over a year old. I don't think they ran any candidates, right? It was a thing that happened in the moment. And there's, there's, a, there's an initial blast and a lot of energy, but that has to be sustained. And, and the things that sustain you are convictions 
that are, are found deep, deep down inside of you. Um, and, and that is my concern. And again, this is not a knock, knock on Ice Cube. I'll take it because I, I, to your point, what I hope he does is, is I, I would love for him to be on this show and talk to you because again, you can, you can ask certain questions and particularly around that point you made in your piece, which is the battle of the sexes. Because I, I would argue for the majority of the black community, the, the, the body chemical we think is most important is melanin. But really what's playing out in the real world is that the body chemical that's most important is testosterone. And the left knows how to use race to, to, to prime us, to, to get us you know, active and passionate. Oh, they're gonna put you in chains. You know, the, the, the uh, recent piece that I did, I talk about how the left will talk about Jim Crow and all his kinfolk. James Crow, uh, um, uh, James Crow Esquire, Jimmy Crow, Jim Crow 2.0, Jim Eagle. And they do all of those things because they know how salient race is to us. And while they're doing that, right, while they're doing the wind up with one hand, they're, they're queuing up the, 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 the knockout blow with the other. And the knockout blow today is around the battle of the sexes, as you put it. And yes, you may have black men in leadership positions in the church and civil rights organizations, but anybody that denies that black culture is matriarchal today has their head in the sand. And, and when I saw him on an interview a couple of years ago with Vivica Fox and um, you know a, a number of other women, I think they were on Fox Soul, and he was talking about his contract with black America and they were pressing him, well, it doesn't say anything about black women, and he said it talks about black people. Aren't, aren't black women black people? Because they want specific carve-outs and call-outs. Um, and I think he is the type of person that can catalyze the conversation that needs to be had about that battle of the sexes, right? Because men like him are not going to listen to Tiffany Cross when she tells black men, shut up and just get behind and follow black women. And here's why I think he knows that there was a part of the conversation with Tucker that, again, I would have pounced on and, and really dug in on was when he, he said that uh, men, no one affirms manliness or men. Mm. He, 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 he said that. And I was like, oh, my God, he gets it. He, 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 he understands what this is really about. Every other trans people have to be affirmed, gay people have to be affirmed, black women have to be affirmed, uh, lesbian women have to be affirmed, blah, blah, blah. But men, no one has to affirm us. And it's like, I'm telling you, I heard that and was like, oh, this dude gets the big picture. He just has to be put in the right environment and the right conversation. And, and he will go there and, and you, you just, every man can, can feel it, know it, but they're not in position. And this is why I, I, I give the man credit and what I think separates him from many of the other rappers. It, is like, and, and I don't want to disparage Jay-Z's marriage because maybe it is based on love, but... That seems like an old Hollywood power couple arrangement, mm. and this is good for my career, it's good for your career. He, Ice Cube, is, he done married his high school sweetheart. Mm -hmm. And they've been married since 1992. And, and that's what I think grounds him and gives him the ability to actually stand on this rock and stand on this foundation of truth 
because there's no chaos in his home life. And that's not saying they got the perfect marriage, but when, when you've been married since 1992, you're standing on a pretty solid foundation where you, yeah. that's 30 years, 31 years. You, you, can, you can say a few things and he, he's saying them. And so I, I respect that. I, I wanna play the, the other clip that, that I had them pull that that like, man, this dude is really awake when he he talked about television programming and and how it's rigged for conflict. Let's play that clip. In 1986, you had movies and television and it was all scripted and we knew this is a scripted show. But I think now you have so many so-called reality shows that basically push the same thing, but in a reality-like setting. So, you know, you'll watch a movie on race, okay? And you flip the channel now, you're watching a, a somewhat like documentary reality show that's highlighting and, and, and magnifying race and 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 status and where you belong in this country and where you don't and you know uh we're highlighting the bad guys here we're highlighting the good guys you know um it's, it's just it's always really showing controversy and pitting each other against each other and with the reality shows you know controversy sells so they're not showing people getting along, what they right. want to get to is the fight, the conflict, you know, the argument, the throwing of the bottles, the, you know, the turmoil, the differences. Um. Hmm. And so I'm listening to a man that knows that part of his career was based on conflict, the turmoil, the differences, and, and, and he's never, he, he's not in a position as of yet, and this is probably because of where his spiritual journey is, he, he's not in position to acknowledge like, man, that was me, you know, mm. 20 years ago. But at least he is aware like, hey, this is harmful. This is not reality. Uh, and, and so I, I'm just, they have created Frankenstein. I think with these rappers, they gave rappers a license to say and do anything. They're held mm -hmm. to no standards. They're used to just being able to say whatever they want. And now that some of them are wising up and, and if they're financially sound, which I understand Ice Cube is very financially sound, worth close to a half billion dollars. He's in a marriage that's real and legitimate. And he's used to saying and thinking whatever he wants. He's going to do that. And, and, you know, when I look at the silence of others, it makes me quite, obviously, they're not on as firm a standing as he is, or they're compromised in some other way, and they can't be as outspoken. Yeah. I, so on, on the race part, right, I would love to see if Ice Cube, let's say he sits down with, with a, a black, particularly, let's say, a, a, someone on the black left. I would love to see whether he would take the same tone and stance with them in terms of saying, hey, as a country, we need to dial 
down the whole race stuff a few notches. Because that, that to me, is re- where it would really make a difference. Because uh, I could easily see his critics saying, see, oh, when you go talk to, to, to the white dude, to Tucker Carlson, now he's, you know, peace, peace, let's all get along. But what I've seen is I've seen folks make that sort of move and then they go back into pre- predominantly black spaces and then they want to talk like Ice Cube X again, right? So I, I would I would love to hear whether he, this is a newfound sort of revelation and whether he would keep this a consistent sort of outlook and tone as it relates to the issue of race. But yeah, you know, I, I love what you said in terms of they, they've created monsters that they cannot control. Now the thing is, most of these guys are controlled. And, and one of the things that they played in the clip when they were riding in the car was um, uh, Michael Che and the, 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 the uh, not, not Key and Peele, the, 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 one of the, the other dude that's on, on SNL who was playing Ice Cube and they were criticizing him because he refused to take the jab. And, and the one word that came into my mind when I saw that part of the clip is these guys are shills, man. These guys, these guys have no dignity, no self-respect. They will say and do anything for a buck. Now again, and you've made this criticism, I've made the same one. You can level that same criticism against the rappers. But the difference is a guy like Ice Cube who lives what seems like a traditional lifestyle in terms of his wife and his children, he is set up to be a patriarch in the rap game in a way that most of these other people are not, right? And, and I think that matters. And I think he can have influence because to your point, his home life is in order. A lot of these other guys got children by different women. Some they acknowledge, some they don't acknowledge. They're still out in the streets. They're still trying to act like they're 20 years old. This People like Uncle Luke um, are co-signing rappers like Sexy Red and saying, hey, man, leave my niece alone, man. She's a new up and coming because some of these guys have gotten old in terms of chronology, but they still think like they're immature 25-year-olds, right? And, and I think Ice Cube has embraced... Um, where he is in his life's journey, because honestly, Jason, you and I know this, none of these guys, once they start making money, are living the lifestyle that they promote. They, they talk gangbanging and trapping, and they live out in the suburbs. Their kids go to private schools that are probably 95% white. They, 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 they write a check for them to go to USC and, you know, and all these other, all these other colleges. But, but all of these guys at some point do wisen up, and they say, the stuff that I was promoting, I don't want to live, right? And I don't think it's good for us as a society. Society, And I, and I think it's good to see Ice Cube step in that lane. I really do hope it continues. And I really hope that he gets in a space where he can apply maximum pressure to, to that uh, gender war that is boiling beneath the surface and sometimes right above the surface in the black community. Because as long as the narrative is the black community wins when black women lead and the response from those women is shut up get behind us and follow and everything is going to fall into line then you're going to continue to have a generation of men who've been clipped snipped uh gelded and afraid to say what they want and it is no coincidence to me that one of the top female rappers is named after an uncut male horse meg the stallion while so many of her male peers will say and do anything because they're afraid of being criticized by, by the, you know, getting crossways with the wrong group of people. So I, I hope that what he's doing now 
is is encouraging guys, particularly in his age cohort, right? The 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 Buster Rhymeses, the Ti's, some of these other guys, encouraging them to say, look, you and I, you, these guys talk. He said, bro, you know what we text about? You know what we talk about? We, you know how guys talk? You know we're not for this this foolishness that, that the left is pushing on us. Why won't we say anything? We only wait till we get a narrative that they approve of, right? And now we say, oh, we need to stand with the marginalized communities. But when they're wreaking havoc in all of our cities, pushing crazy policies, pushing drag queens in the schools in New York City, we're nowhere to be found. So I hope he starts to apply some pressure there, but only time will tell if that's the case. Thank you, Delano. Great job as always. Thank you, Jason. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, perfect opportunity for me to talk about uh, one of our sponsors who is near and dear to my heart, even long before they were a sponsor of this show. You guys know I've been taking liver health formula for a little more than 18 months. About three or four months ago, they jumped on board as a sponsor. Uh, you must start taking care of your liver now more than ever. Why? Because the latest data from the American Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver were three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. The American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver, which means many people are at risk. We throw everything at our livers, cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, cigarettes. That's why so many of us have a sluggish fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. For decades now, your liver helped you with over 500 key functions every day. It's time to help your liver. There is a solution, Liver Health Formula, an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. Manufactured right here in the US of A and approved by the American doctors. So if you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy and transform how you look and feel, try Liver Health Formula and receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings when you order today. Try Liver Health Formula by going to getliverhelp.com Jason and claim your free bonus gift. That's getliverhelp.com Jason. Guys, I've been taking this stuff for 18 months. It's been part of my weight loss journey. Make it a part of yours. All right, you can email me and us at fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Stay tuned. Steve Kim, next. All right, welcome back. Time for your favorite part of the show, my least favorite part of the show. Uh, time for some Korean co-sales, Steve Kim. Uh, we're going to talk a little sports here. Uh, unless Steve, well, you know, Kim loves to comment on anything rap related. So, Steve, before I get into Aaron Rodgers and some other sports topics, uh, you got anything you want to say about uh, Ice Cube sitting down with Tucker Carlson? Uh, it was interesting. I, I do want to see the complete list of people that uh, O'Shea Jackson is going to uh, converse with. I, I'd love to see him actually sit down with you there in Nashville and have a nice discussion. But I think it's very healthy and important what he's doing is that you have to be willing to talk to other people if you're going to try to spread a message the way he is. And he's gotten very political or somewhat political in terms of helping out his people and his community. 
And I think he realized one thing, that the message that he was espousing was not going to work well on Fox Soul or places like The Breakfast Club. So if you want to expand your message and make sure that you don't get muted or shut out, you have to be willing to go to the people like a Tucker Carlson and hopefully a fearless sometime soon. Steve, uh, Aaron Rodgers, New York Jets yeah. quarterback, has taken like a $37 million pay cut in order to help out the New York Jets and in order to try to help them win a Super Bowl over the next two years. This is a move, I don't like it, I love well, it. It, yeah. it. To me, it says how into winning and he recognizes how important it is for him not to run off to the New York Jets and compete against the Chiefs and the Bills and Baltimore and, all, and, and come away with nothing. He's pushed 37 million chips into the middle of the table to try to help this franchise around him with enough talent. Look, I've been a fan of Aaron Rodgers ever since he refused to take the jab. And now that, you know, he's putting his money where his mouth is, I, I, I really love, I love this move and I respect this move. How about yourself? My reaction is this. Slow 80s clap. Slow 80s clap. I mean, that is a leader. Now, this is a guy that has millions. And he's going to have a big media career. He's going to do other things. He's going to be the next Alex Trebek or the Pat Sajak. But he realizes that the one mark against him as a professional football player, what is that, Jason? We all know it. Doesn't have enough Lombardi on his resume. And that's the thing. He needs at least two, if not three, next to his bio. Or we're all going to say, you know what? He was an extremely talented guy, but he underachieved. Now, I don't know how this is playing in Green Bay, this big sacrifice that he's making. But I would argue, you know what? Uh, Aaron Rodgers was charging you for making him live in Green Bay. Okay, I went there. Now he's in the Big Apple. All the pressure's on him. And he's saying to himself, you know what? This is about legacy. I hear so much about fighters talk all the time. Oh, this is a legacy fight. And it's all a bunch of malarkey. It's a big money fight. You do things for the money. You are a prize fighter. Like this past uh, week, Jason, on Tuesday, a fighter from Philadelphia, Stephen Fulton, was given so much credit by the usual suspects uh, in the media and on boxing Twitter. Oh, Stephen Fulton is so brave. He's, he's traveling as a world champion to another part of the world, daring to be great. Yeah, right. And also because he's getting paid $3 million in Japan that does not exist. What Aaron Rodgers is doing is truly about the legacy. And for that, uh, I give him a lot of credit. Do you think it's a futile effort, <laughs> given that mm. Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are, are in the AFC, is it going to work? He's ensuring that he's giving himself the best chance. But, Jason, from a pure football standpoint, the Jets have a ready-to-win roster. This is not a rebuild. It's not. If you actually study the Jets last year, Coach Sala did a really nice job of putting together a lot of good pieces. Defensively, they have pro bowlers on every level. Think about it. Last year, they may have had the best offensive rookie, okay, in that wide receiver, Garrett Wilson, and they had the best defensive rookie uh, in Sauce. Quinton Williams has been wrapped up. He's a dominant inside force. Brees Hall, if he can stay healthy, now becomes a guy. He's a big play, game-breaking running back on his first contract. Okay, 
And if you look at a lot of their games, they were playing meaningful games post-Thanksgiving into December, but their quarterback play absolutely stifled them. And I think I read a quote where Aaron Rodgers said, no, I'm not here for just one year. I don't think that'd be fair to the Jets. I'm kind of here for the long haul. So again, all the concerns that I had about Aaron being all in, um, I no longer have those concerns. And Jason, I can't wait till next week when Hard Knocks begins on HBO. Wow. I'm very excited. Uh, speaking of Hard Knocks, uh, the Pac-12, or whatever's oh. left of the Pac-12, just received another Hard Knock. That's your conference oh. out there, Kim. Uh, oh. Colorado, Deion Sanders, they're packing their bags and moving back uh, to the Big 12. I don't want to just talk about the Pac-12 angle of this. I, I just want to talk about the college football and college sports angle of this. <laughs> Do, does college football care that no. much of, of its relevance and traction in American culture is based on tradition? Yes. That, that mm-hmm. the traditions of the is what made them so valuable. And, and now we're basically, in my opinion, we're down to two major conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC. Some people consider the ACC a, a major conference. Perhaps you do, since you're, you're, your Miami Hurricanes are a part of it. Uh, yeah, but it, it, it's two, the Big Ten and the SEC, they've blown up everything they're just all of these movements and matching. They're just destroying college sports. Who can recognize it, Jason? This is a sad day, and when comes kickoff time this year at the start of the last season of that great conference, basically, when I have a nice, crisp, clean, refreshing Zima on ice, I'm going to pour some out. I'm going to pour some out. Look, I'm not a UCLA or USC fan. I'm not a Pac-12. Pac-10 fan, but growing up in L.A., living here, I I thought it was amazing that the flagship schools in my area are no longer going to be in the conference, and it looks like this conference may no longer be. I find that to be sad, and Jason, I could not agree with you more. Part of the charm and the uniqueness of college football was actually its regionality, is that every conference in its part of the country had a certain personality. There were rivalries. There were like coaches that didn't like each other. There were traditions and trophy games. And it was all tied in together eventually. And now it's just basically AFC, NFC dressed up as the SCC and the Big Ten. And, and now we've gotten to the point the last 15 years, Jason. And I grew up in an era where every Thanksgiving weekend, Oklahoma and Nebraska and the Big Eight would play for all the marbles, right, in an Orange Bowl berth. And look, I'm not even a fan of any of these schools. I love the fact that Penn State, West Virginia, Syracuse, and Pitt had this rivalry between four teams. There could come a point where my beloved Hurricanes, if we go to a different conference than Florida State, Jason, there's no guarantee that rivalry survives. Think about this. Texas and Texas A&M do not play anymore regularly. And so now you're turning this into the NFL, and I'm with you, Jason. I mean, in five years, unless Mario Cristobal here rebuilds this thing, I may not even care that much about college football. I'm going to be honest with you. And, and, and that, now there's talk of all these super conferences. I'm just like, what is this anymore? And, Jason, I know it's about the money. 
I know it's about television, but you're right. I think in many respects, they have stained college football, and there's nothing we can do about it. At some point, Saudi Arabia is going to come in and start throwing money (laughs) and create the Saudi Arabia conference. (laughs) I mean, because that's how the whole thing is. The whole thing now is it's just all about money. Nothing else matters. It's it's name, image and likeness deals. It's it's everything's about money. None of it has to do with school pride and tradition. No, the no, kids are transferring from here to there. Coaches pick up and go from here to there. I, I Whitlock, don't give them any ideas, because you because I've seen <laughs> this in boxing, and so now every good fight basically their stimulus plan is we're not going to promote it. We're not going to pay market value. We'll just go to a bunch of oil sheiks. Yeah, in Saudi Arabia, and I'm like, okay, can't wait to watch it at home. I'm not doing that. One of my favorite traditions, Jason and being a college football junkie for years was that every time that late August, early September rolled around, you had two great kickoff games. One was at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. And then uh, in Anaheim, they had a game at the Big A. And I used I went to a couple of those when Florida State played BYU way back when USC played. And it was an exciting thing because you'd get a great non-conference game. And then the Thursday night games for a while. ESPN would put on great games all throughout the year. But now because of the NFL package, the Thursday night games on college football are not very good. I mean, this this is already the second most popular sport in America if you go by television ratings. And now everything is really dictated to by TV. And it's really interesting, uh, Jason. I'm in L.A., and a lot of my friends actually went to UCLA or SC or follow the Pac-10-12. And this is where the downfall really began in a lot of respects. You know, I'm about the only person I know that actually has the Pac-12 network. So this thing has been botched by Larry Scott. This guy is the assassin. Forget Bernard Hopkins. He's the executioner. I've never seen such poor leadership. And now, and I, and I said this to Coach JB, here's what college football is. If you're not one of those teams like an Ohio State, Clemson, or Alabama, or Georgia. Remember the last scenes of the Vietnam War when all those poor people were trying to get on the helicopters? I mean, literally, poor Vietnamese were like, oh, my God, we don't want to be communists. Let us hang on to a propeller, and they're flying off to the good old U.S. of A, greatest country. That's what a lot of programs are. And I find that sad that there's no room for a San Diego state. I'm hearing that Washington state and Oregon state may be nomads. Uh, I mean, what, what about a what about a program like East Carolina, who I remember years ago had this magical run with Jeff Blake. They finished in the top 10. So we're not going to have those stories. No more Boise State being a thing. And that and that's a crying shame. It's a crying shame. Uh, speaking of crying shames, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Harbaugh, the NCAA <laughs> has suspended <laughs> Jim Harbaugh for the first four games of the season. Uh, they're playing a bunch of Mac schools or <laughs> yeah, mid-majors. Uh, the first four games. He can coach every day but Saturday. He can coach all during the week but can't coach on Saturday. I'm not sure. I did. I looked it up this morning what this is about. Uh, Last year, the NCAA notified Michigan of four alleged level two violations. Those included meeting with two recruits during the COVID-19 dead period and texting a recruit outside of a permitted window. 
Beyond the recruiting violations, the World Marines are accused of having analysts perform on-field coaching duties during <gasps> practice with coaches oh monitoring player workouts via Zoom. Level two violations are defined by the NCAA as less than a substantial or extensive recruiting competitive or other advantage. Harbaugh's been suspended, I guess, for lying to the NCAA or not being totally truthful. Uh, your thoughts on Jim Harbaugh being suspended? Well, first of all, you look at the schedule, it's 4-0. And Michigan's going to be really good. This is the most talented roster top to bottom he's had. So they'll be 4-0. I don't know. Part of the penalty is when he comes back, he has to wear blue jeans on the sideline. I, I don't get it. I didn't think the NCAA had any more power. That's what I've been told. But this is where a lot of the people that believe that there's an SEC bias have an issue with. I'm not saying what Jim Harbaugh did was right. But compare his transgressions to what took place at Tennessee with Chick-fil-A Pruitt. Are, are you sure that the level of infractions are the same? And I get it. Tennessee was fine money, $8 million. That is substantial. But this is where Jim Harbaugh, who's a true renegade, and I love him because he's a wacky son of a gun. We need guys like that in college. I hope this does not drive him to the National Football League. Jason, when life hands you lemonade, you got to go to hot dog on a stick and you got to make. If I'm Harbaugh, the next NIL plan for Michigan Wolverines, make Harbaugh's. Hamburgers for everybody, because I think that's what he did. Didn't he buy hamburgers for a couple of players? And when the guy asked him, hey, who bought this? I heard Harbaugh said, I don't know, ask your mother. Oh, this guy's great. I hope he stays in Michigan forever. He's great for the Wolverines. But again, a serious note. Tell me if you really think what happened in Michigan Harbaugh is worse than what took place at Tennessee. I don't, but Tennessee got fined $8 million. Jim Harbaugh, they're saying was dishonest with investigators. It's like lying to the FBI. Uh, you know, look, would I have suspended him? Would I, would I, you know, I get why Jim Harbaugh is sitting there like, come on, you guys got to be kidding me. All this NIL money that kids that's right. getting passed around, all this money that, you know, gamblers. I was talking to a coach, a major Division One coach, that, that was saying these gamblers now have direct access to the players mm. through name, image, and likeness. That because again, the schools aren't involved when these kids are out cutting deals all the time. Kids are doing it on their own, they got their handlers out there doing it. Gamblers have direct access to them, and they're spanking Jim Harbaugh over some nonsense. It's all a joke, so I know why Harbaugh was condescending or whatever. But you know, I get this is the NCAA trying to pretend like it still has some value, some role, some power over college athletics. Yeah, Jason, I don't know which organization I trust less, NCAA or the FBI. But what is the most important thing to college football coaches is, is the acquisition of talent. So I, I don't know whether suspending a coach for a bunch of uh, cupcakes in the beginning part of the season will really do. But I think a, a bigger penalty is taking away scholarships. Because if you strip away a team's depth and your ability to recruit here and there, that's what they did to Miami in, in the mid-90s, which really stifled Butch Davis's early years. You take away scholarships, that is capital that is invaluable if you are trying to sustain and maintain a national caliber program. But again, Jim Harbaugh, you, you, you're a wacky guy. I, 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 he can do no wrong in my eyes, as far as I'm concerned. I know you're a Brady Hope guy. Uh, Michigan, take care of him. I, I would actually say, Jim, we're okay here. Just come back in October. I know you you have visions of Brady Hope coming back. It's not happening, Whitlock. Don't even think about it. Forget about it. 
Steve, uh, the let's go back to the NFL. Saquon Barkley ended up signing some one-year deal to end of that deal. But th- there, wow. there's a lot of talk about the value of NFL running backs. There's a lot of whining and crying about, hey, NFL running backs can't get played. They've been devalued in the NFL. I, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, I, I think rather than whining and crying, the solution is for that player's association, that players union, to work out a deal where running backs are only signed to two-year rookie deals so that they hit the market where they can get a second contract sooner than other players because that that's the real issue. They're all tied to the same rookie wage scale and contracts, yeah. and by the time they're up for a second contract, teams are like, oh, I can get someone younger than you less wear and tear on their body, and that's what's hurting their value. But do you feel sorry for NFL running backs? To a certain degree, I do. I mean, think about it. What what becomes more valued, devalued instantly? An NFL running back that in the first four years has 1,000 yards each year or a car, a new car that's driven off the lot? Uh, it, it really is. It's the only position in all sports where the more productive you are, the less valuable you become on the open market. Now, again, you are right, though. The NFL Players Association, this is an issue. They have to take care of their constituents. But, Jason, I I do feel for these guys, especially a Barkley, because let's face it, Daniel Jones relies on his playmaking ability to open up things. Daniel Jones is a pretty good quarterback, had a nice year, but the heartbeat of that offense is Barkley. Austin Eckler, incredibly productive, but in this market, he's not going to get what he wants. But that Zoom meeting, uh, that little summit they had of all the running backs, Jason, it did kind of remind me. Do you remember in the early 90s or late 80s, Lee Steinberg put together a group of quarterbacks that was separate from the players, the other players in marketing, and it called the Quarterback Club. Warren Moon, Dan Marino, all those guys, John Elway, were in it, and they had separate licensing deals. And I just remember, I don't know if the running backs can do that, but Jason, didn't you say a couple of years ago when you're at the other network, the running backs should have their own separate salary cap? I mean, and I don't disagree because I just look at football. I don't want football to be, because I know Coach JB says it, and I'm not saying he's wrong, but, but I get it. You've already taken away my fullback, okay? There's no more Tom Rathmans anymore. I get it. But Jason, do you want to watch a football where every a game, where everything is shotgun five wide there's no running back there's no more walter payton there's no more barry sanders there's no more eric dickerson and everything's just basically a glorified seven on seven really and i just i just i do think it's unfair but jason here's the issue life is unfair i i don't i don't outside of these running backs all getting together and creating a collective and saying we're all holding out at the same time but here's the thing there'll be other players willing to take their place for probably even less money. Yeah. What, what's sad to me is this game was built on the backs of running backs. Yes. The, the, this entire, yeah. the, the, the preeminent stars of football for the first probably 70 years of the NFL. Yep. It was running backs. O.J. Simpson was the highest paid player in the NFL. Mm. 
Walter Payton was number two. They were one and two for consecutive years. It wasn't quarterbacks who were the highest paid players. It was running backs. And, and now to see them devalued in this way, it does, it makes me nostalgic. It does, it makes me like, what are we doing here? These running backs traditionally have been the most exciting players on the field. And, and I still think going to, I'd rather go watch someone run for 200 yards than watch a quarterback throw for 300. It, 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 watching Barry Sanders work is more exciting than why, and my favorite player of all time, the girl who I think is the greatest player. It's more exciting than watching John Elway work. And I, and I love John Elway, but if I had a choice, oh, I can go see Barry Sanders or I can go see John Elway, I'm probably choosing Barry Sanders. And, but, but we've, the game is so non-physical now, I guess that has undermined their value in terms of excitement level, and it's just all the prestige is taken off of being a running back, and it's sad. It, it's, it's, it's disappointing, but ain't nothing I can do about it. Uh, in terms of mixing up content, Steve, I'm trying to you know, cater to your massive ego and your oh, massive you. intellect. Uh, (laughs) Jason Aldean has Mm -mm -mm. edited his uh, Try That in a Small Town video and Black Lives Matter scenes have been removed. Uh, Is this a weak move or a smart move? Probably a little bit of both. Uh, But when you make a song like that and you have, you know, by the way, when I saw the video, it showed civil unrest. I don't think it pointed out any race, color, creed. And let's face it, there's a lot of Antifa in there. My view is this. If you're going to be that guy, you cannot capitulate. You can't. Stand on your word. And, and, and I found it interesting, Jason. And I know that these individuals do not speak for the collective. No race of people is a monolith. And I could show you this, Jason. But on my YouTube feed, I'm finding a lot of black content creators who actually agree with the song not only do they not find it racist, they actually find it inspiring, and they're agreeing with the message. And at what point are the good people of America just going to say, you know what, we do not have to agree, but at the same time, if you're going to always espouse white supremacy and all that American imperialism, and you never care about what we think, well, we have the same right. Jason Aldean, in my view, and again, I'm not under his pressure. It's not my career. It's not my life. But you put the song out there. It's never going to be taken back in any other form. The visuals are out there. People have downloaded the original video. So why even take half a step back? That, that's the question that I have. And I think he needs to realize there's actually people of all denominations that actually agree with his message. And now the problem is he may have alienated them. Because in life, Jason, you try to please everybody. Inevitably, you please nobody. Yeah, trust me, this is purely a business decision. Uh, you know, a lot of these woke corporations have people high up in their marketing department and where they spend their money that are all in bed with Black Lives Matter. And, and this decision is just to make sure the money keeps flowing and, and it doesn't, you know, 
cause any problems at concert venues or, you know, venue operators saying, no, we won't host Jason Aldean here. He criticized Black Lives Matter, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, who, who knows what it's about? Uh, I mean, Jason, I, I, I don't that? think you can unring the bell. I don't think right. you can unring the bell. He made the song. He's he's put out the video. He's going to be known for it. I, I wouldn't have edited the video under any circumstance. Yeah, and I, look, I, I still enjoy what he did. Thumbs up. But I'm, I'm going to say this, Jason. If by the beginning of September he changes the title to try that in a suburb, then I'm off. Then <laughs> then he's crossed the line and I'm off. We're trashing him. He is, then, he is now flimsier and phonier than Millie Vanilli. Okay, by the way, I like. Good album, whoever did it. Just saying. That is catchy. Uh, one last oh. editing job here to talk about, and we'll end on this note. Uh, Elon Musk. Hmm. He got fact-checked for suggesting, insinuating, that Bronny James, his collapse from cardiac arrest, might be connected to the vaccine. Mm. Uh, his own Twitter X fact-checked him, and then they <laughs> removed the fact-check. Are you surprised that someone, Elon Musk, 150 million followers, it's his, you know, uh, me speculating or you speculating about whether the vaccine had anything to do with Bronny James is one thing, but the most powerful man on Twitter and one of the richest men on the planet Speculating about it, that, that, that does carry a more significant weight to it. I like this about Elon Musk. He talks on Twitter. He communicates on Twitter like he's just like everyone else. I respect and like that about him. Do you think it's appropriate that uh, Elon Musk hop into the Ronnie James speculation business? Yeah, why not? I, I, I don't get it. Is he not allowed his opinion? Is he not allowed the option to speculate like everybody else? I, I, I mean, here's, here's the issue. We do not know enough about Bronny James to make definitive statements. But we have a right to actually question what is going on. And I'll say this about Elon. I will guarantee this. He will never get banned off of X. He knows people. He will. That's one guy I guarantee you. His, 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 his account is pretty doggone safe. And the fact that he was fact-checked, I respect the consistency. Okay? But again... Who? Why is it that Elon is now being singled out for giving an opinion? See, the, 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 that's not the problem, Jason. The problem with the people that are complaining is, is not that he just merely gave an opinion. No, no, it goes much deeper than that. It's that he gave an opinion that they didn't agree with. Jason, I've never actually seen this on Twitter. Me and you have different levels of profile. But no one has ever actually said to you, Jason... I agree with you, but you shouldn't say it. No, no, no. It's always just because they disagree with you. And so it's not even about the First Amendment. It's about you have to agree with me because these people are a bunch of perennial malcontents. Steve, we'll see you next week. Great job as always. We're going to end the show differently today. You're not going to hear tomorrow. You're actually going to hear me talking some local Nashville politics with Alice Rowley. Welcome back. All right, uh, you guys are going to have to humor me a little bit here. 
I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive on Nashville politics because I live here now in Nashville, have for three years. I, I moved to uh, in the downtown and the kind of the party area, party district of, of Nashville, being single, living a high rise. On, and you know what? I'm just going to, who cares? I'm just going to say it all. I, you know, I live on Demumbrian, Demumbrian Street in Nashville. And on my block, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a high crime area. And I wasn't expecting that. And particularly at the uh, rate of pay that I, I'm paying to live in, in this area, there have been several shootings on my block. And so the whole crime issue in downtown Nashville has made me take even more of an interest in the local politics. And we have a mayoral election coming up, I believe August 3rd, and then the runoff, I believe, in September. And so uh, you guys gotta humor me today as I interview a, a mayoral candidate here in Nashville, Alice Rowley. Welcome to Fearless, uh, glad to have you. Alice is a Republican running for the mayor's office in a city where I don't think they've had a Republican mayor. This is a red state, but this is a blue city. Probably haven't had a Republican mayor in 60 years. And we certainly, in my three years here, we ha certainly haven't had a mayor that has addressed uh, the crime problem. And so, uh, Alice, I just want to start there. You don't live far from me, I understand, either. Uh, so we kind of live in the same neighborhood. Uh, how are you going to help... Uh, make my neighborhood safe again? Well, well, I, um, that is a great question, and thank you for having me on, and thank you for taking a detour into local politics, because I think too frequently um, people don't pay attention to local races, so I really appreciate you doing that. Um, I am uh, currently polling second, and I know that um, a lot of people have said to me, um, you can't be a red mayor in a blue city, but I would uh, tell you that, that, that those folks are wrong. Uh, I am endorsed by the Community Leaders of America, which is a group of Republican and community uh, city council members that are governing well in blue cities. David Holt in Oklahoma City is, is a great example of a, of a mayor doing just that. But on the issue of crime, I do think it takes a complete reset in the attitude at the top. We are at least 200 officers short. Uh, we have a problem with our district attorney who follows what we would call a sort of a catch and release philosophy. Um, we don't prosecute a lot of our, one of our biggest problems in the city is stolen guns. And the state law is that if you steal a gun, you shall, not may, spend 180 days in jail. And our district attorney does not prosecute that. So why do we continue to see a proliferation of stolen guns and, uh, and, and, and guns being used to commit violent crimes? We're not prosecuting it. Um, so I am not afraid to say that some people need to go to jail. And also I've written extensively about this concept. We have gone too far in a lot of our cities from um, you know, towards the victims of the, the, the criminals or the rights of criminals and not the rights of victims. And I think what we've got to get back to is recognizing that what victims want most is that people never experience what they have gone through as a victim of crime. And that means sometimes taking people out of an environment that they are in and helping them get support and programming to, to, not, to not offend. So we've gone through this... Uh... Outlook worldview change, as you just alluded to, 
to the criminal justice system mm -hmm. where we're trying to make things better for the criminals mm -hmm. all the time, and, and that's criminal justice reform. And, and part of that new worldview has led to what you alluded to as well, a shortage of police officers. Mm -hmm. You're saying Nashville is 200 officers short, yep. which makes things more... How do you fix that? Yeah, so we, we are, I would say we are at least 200 officers short, and it's if we accept our current staffing levels, which are 1.96 per thousand residents, and you and I know where we live in town, we have so many visitors, so our city gets bigger every night and every weekend based on the number of visitors coming here. So I would argue uh, we should at least be at 2.3 officers per thousand, which is a national average, and we probably should be even higher than that because of the number of tourists that we have. So the first thing is officer pay, and I think that this current mayor has done quite a bit to raise officer pay, so I think we're heading in the right direction. But I actually think the biggest challenge is having a mayor who says, I support the police. It's having a mayor who says, we're not gonna let City Hall burn down, which this mayor did. Um, we are going to allow the police to do their job and we're also going to hold the district attorney accountable. And every day that somebody reports to me when I'm the mayor how many guns were recovered or how many crimes were, were happened the day before with a stolen gun, I'm going to also report on how many people were not prosecuted for those stolen guns. Because the public needs to see um, that not holding people accountable has consequences for public safety. Why should people believe you're going to do that? You do, do, you don't have an extensive history of public service. You're not the most experienced candidate. You, you have obviously worked with Lamar Alexander, and uh, you, did you work for the mayor, uh, the Governor Haslam? That's right. Uh, I believe. Anyway, give us a little bit about your background. Sure. Why we should believe you can get it done? Yeah. Well, I um, I have a more than twenty year career, and about half of that has been in public service, uh, and about half of that has been in the private sector, helping rapidly grow companies, grow well. I'm a graduate of Stanford University, international relations. I have an MBA from Darden at the University of Virginia, and I'm also uh, the wife of a combat veteran who um, was multiple times deployed, and as a West Point graduate. So actually, I. I think I have an above average set of, 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 of sort of experiences. So for Senator Alexander, I'm the only candidate in the race who's worked at the federal and the state level. And what I find cities doing poorly now is they are frequently confusing their job and thinking that their job is to create national social policy or state policy. That's not our job. Our job is to run the city well. So the fact that I have worked as an assistant commissioner um, in economic development for Governor Bill Haslam, actually I have a very clear sense of what the role of the state is and I have a very clear sense from working twice for Senator Lamar Alexander what the role of the federal government is. And, um, and, and I know what our job is, and I think what cities do too frequently is they try to use City Hall as a backdrop for some kind of national social agenda, when City Hall needs to be the place that we are keeping the streets safe, we are filling the potholes, and we are getting kids to read. It doesn't need to be a sort of a backdrop for, for, for people's positions on national issues. When you say backdrop, yeah. I hear perhaps you're saying <clears throat> springboard to being a voice on national issues. No, I mean things like this mayor, I, I will say, uh, used- You're talking about Cooper? Yeah, C Mayor Cooper recently in his um, State of the City, which I went to, it was held at a new high school here in our city. 
granted, the high school has not yet been open and there were no children in the high school, but it is still a school. And he invited at 10 o'clock in the morning on a city event, which is talking about the state of the city, a, um, a, a drag queen to be on the stage. And I, and I went up afterwards, and I've actually seen this drag queen. She's great. I've seen her down here at a 40-year-old birthday party at night with all adults, right? Just, and, 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 when, and I said, why, why do we need to be doing that? Why do we need to use the state of the city, which is an opportunity to, to talk about our crime rate, our literacy rate, our debt? We have more debt in Davidson County than the entire state of Tennessee combined. It is a time to talk about the purpose and the vision for the city. It's not a time to bring all of these sort of extra things on the stage that are not really part of the purpose of doing the work. And what people push back to me and they say, Alice, well, we had her there because we could. I can wear a bathing suit to church, but I don't. I mean, you have to have a little bit of you know, maturity. You have to have a little bit of a sense of purpose, of decorum. You, you could wear a bathing suit to church, too, on Sunday, but it probably wouldn't go over well, right? So just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. One, there are times and places for certain things, and I think too frequently our city councils, not just in Nashville, but nationally, start to think that their job is, is to have this kind of display of um, a whole lot of things that, that, that it feels to me I don't think most people in Nashville care what color the bridge is. I think they care are the potholes on the bridge filled. And I think that when we start to sort of use City Hall uh, for other purposes, other than the work of the city, um, then we find excuses for why aren't we um, showing up and doing a better job policing crime on Demumbrian. So you work for LA Unified Schools. Yeah, I did. And part of your platform is that like first graders aren't reading mm -hmm. at a height of level here right. in the Nashville area. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I've zeroed in. So the third grade retention law, which is in a lot of states and, and our, our state legislature passed that a couple years ago. That's a very blunt force, but it's a very blunt force to get the attention of something that we have failed at for years. The reason I'm coming out on first grade reading is, is twofold. First, I think third grade is too late. We've got to make sure that our early literacy efforts, really from age four to age seven, are showing results. And we have schools in our city that are accomplishing that. Um, and then secondly, you can hold me accountable. This fall, when I take the oath to become the mayor of Nashville, our four-year-olds going through voluntary pre-K will turn seven before my first term is done. And, and getting everyone hyper-focused on the science of reading, on using practices that are working, not just in some of our schools, but in all of our schools. Um, because back to crime, when we, when we test at the state level inmates as they're incarcerated, the majority of our male inmates are testing at a first grade reading level. The majority of our female re uh, inmates are testing at a third grade reading level. We are failing our kids and we are failing our society if we're not teaching them how to read. And I could get, I could just go on forever about education, which I in, know you'd like, no, no, please no. don't do that. Oh, no, <laughs> so. actually I am, <laughs> but in practice, how do you, what policies, what practices, what are we not doing mm -hmm that is producing these failing results, and what are you going to do different? Well, I would say it, it's probably mostly an accountability issue. So we have 9% of our kids at our city's public schools go to the KIPP schools. The head of early literacy there this year is posting 80% reading at or above grade level for their second graders, and she has instituted over the last three years 
uh, science of reading, investing like crazy in the adults, and then holding everyone accountable for results. And so I'm, so the reason I give KIPP as an example is it's here in this city, it's 80% of our, our kids at KIPP are free or reduced lunch. Uh, we are sa same city, same place, same kids, uh, same water that we're all drinking, and we are showing it's possible at scale when you've got 9% of the kids able to do that. So I think the sense of accountability, I think that there is still a, a sense of, um, uh, I, you know, I think President Bush, frankly, said it pretty well, a soft bigotry of low expectations. I think that that still exists here in Nashville, and we have to name it, and we have to say, um, we need the best teachers and the best reading instruction at all schools, uh, and, that, and that we've got to sh show, and we've seen it, that this is possible. Breaking these generational cycles is possible, and we've got schools doing it. Um, if our metro schools are not able to deliver, then let's let kids have seats in schools that are delivering. So I've heard the analogy that the, the fear is from some of my friends is that like uh, Austin, Texas exists in a red state, mm -hmm. but there's been a lot of migration. You know, I came from California, came here to Nashville. There's been a lot of people from California that came to Austin. And, and there's a fear that Nashville could end up like Austin, mm -hmm. a big blue mess in the mm -hmm. middle of a red state. And, and so is that a legitimate Concern mm -hmm. that that someplace like Nashville because we're it's an attractive location yep. and and I mentioned to you before we were on air you know my sister lived here 30 years ago yeah. and you know it was like tumbleweed was rolling through town and now you come through here and it's it's an mm -hmm. amazing city is is that a concern of yours that you know and and in trying to break this 60 year uh, I think it's 60 years stranglehold. Mm -hmm. Uh, that the Democrat Party's had on 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 Nashville, T I guess that's a long way of asking. Tell me why you running as a Republican actually have a chance to break that stranglehold. Yeah, well, I think um, the reason I, I'm running as a Republican because I am a Republican. I also am running because in this town it is a nonpartisan election. But people in this town say it's nonpartisan as long as you're a Democrat. And I reject that. Um, working for Senator Alexander, today's federal framing legislation was passed, he authored, it was passed 8512 in education, and it was signed by President Obama. One party doesn't have a monopoly on good ideas. If, uh, and, and so this idea that running a city um, within its means is, is, is somehow a crazy idea. Um, I, I think actually if we continue to keep doing what we're doing, which is spending more every year than we're bringing in, increasing our debt, crowding out other spending priorities because of our debt, I think, I, I do, I think people have a sort of a fear of if we keep doing what we've been doing, we're actually not gonna get a different result, right? The definition of insanity. So I got into the race to say, there are people who, I, my family has lived in this city, um, other than being gone for, for my husband's service in the army and, and college. Um, our family has lived in this city for generations. The tallest point in Nashville, Davidson County, is named for my great-grandfather. It's called Ganyer Ridge at Radnor Lake. And he didn't give the land, he worked for the railroad, but he worked with the state to make that a state park. And people who live in that part of town, they don't care if it's a city park or a state park. And right now, this war between Nashville 
and the state that I think that the media really hypes up. At, at its heart, we are part of a family in Nashville, right? We, I mean, we are part of the state of Tennessee as a family, and families fight usually at their core about money. And the state is worried because Nashville alone has more debt. This budget, $413 million is our debt service in just Davidson County. The whole state of Tennessee is $342 million. So one county ranked a sinkhole city, and, and, and you're the state, right? You, this, this is a cause of concern of you guys don't know what you're doing. What, what's happening? Your crime's going up. We're 94th or 95th of all counties in the state on our education. Uh, and, and, that, and that's a fear. I think that's a fear for our neighboring mayors. Um, and so I think if we don't, if we don't advance uh, an alternative, and, and I would say my race, we're attracting you know, Democrats and independents, and people can go to my website, aliceroley.com, and read under voices, different people who say, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but I'm supporting her, because she actually understands the difference of what this job is, than what some of these other things are that people confuse the role uh, of the mayor. Alice, I, I promised you no sports questions. Yes. okay. But I'm going to ask one. Okay. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down on the signing of DeAndre Hopkins. Well, I've, I've heard that's a thumbs up. Oh, yeah. you've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that's up. a thumbs up. <laughs> um, I did. I tried to get some, like, sports briefing. And to be totally All honest, right. my high school prom date is a big, like, you know, from way back. He and, his, he and his wife are supporting me now. And I called him this morning. I was like, I really don't know anything about sports. And he's like, that was good. That's good for the team. So apparently that's good. Got to be honest, um, well, that's not a strength for me. All right. Well, but I will. I do know one sports thing that I think you might agree with. Oh, uh, what's that? Okay, you you take principled stands that are sometimes you know against the mainstream uh, commentators. Yeah. I do. Uh, yeah, you do. Is that true, guys? Is, is that true? Is that? Oh, they they weren't even listening. And. Uh, and I would say my campaign is a little bit like people looking at me and they're like, she's like Ted Lasso, right? Like, if we keep putting these exact same coaches on the field, maybe she looks a little bit different. Maybe she's from a, kind of a different sports tradition, but maybe she's going to bring a different kind of ideas that is exactly what the city needs right now to shake it up. So I've heard Ted Lasso is a popular show, and I haven't seen it. Is that about... Is that a rodeo deal? What a Ted? I hear the word lasso. Anyway, I'll, I'll figure it out off here. You. you know what? I'll look it up now. But, uh, <laughs> hey, Alice? Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Alice Rowley, running for mayor. Uh, take a look at her website. Take a look at her campaign, particularly those of you that live here in the Nashville area, and uh, vote in a way that will uh, drop the murder rate on Demumbrian. Do that for me, please. That's good. <laughs> All right.